section twelve of the chouan by honore de balzac translated by catherine wormley this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three part two old dorgemont was now in a state of almost grotesque bewilderment the pain in his legs the terror he felt at seeing a human being in the midst of his hordes could be read in every wrinkle of his face and yet at the same time his eyes expressed with unaccustomed fire a lively emotion excited in him by the presence of his liberator whose white and rosy cheek invited kisses and whose velvety black eye sent waves of blood to his heart so hot that he was much in doubt whether they were signs of life or of death are you married he asked in a trembling voice no she said smiling i have a little something he continued heaving a sigh though i am not so rich as people think for a young girl like you must love diamonds trinkets carriages money i've got all that to give after my death hey if you will the old man's eyes were so shrewd and betrayed such calculation in this ephemeral love that mademoiselle de venouille as she shook her head in sign of refusal felt that his desire to marry her was solely to bury his secret in another himself money she cried with a look of scorn which made him satisfied and angry both money is nothing to me you would be three times as rich as you are if you had all the gold that i have refused she stopped suddenly don't go near that wall or but i hear a voice she said it echoes through that wall a voice that is more to me than all your riches before the miser could stop her marie had laid her hand on a small coloured engraving of louis the fifteenth on horseback to her amazement it turned and she saw in a room beneath her the marquis de montaurant who was loading a musket the opening hidden by a little panel on which the picture was gummed seemed to form some opening in the ceiling of the adjoining chamber which no doubt was the bedroom of the royalist general dorgemont closed the opening with much precaution and looked at the girl sternly don't say a word if you love your life you haven't thrown your grappling iron on a worthless building do you know that the marquis de Matron is worth more than one hundred thousand francs a year from lands which have not yet been confiscated and i read in the primidi de lille et Delain a decree of the consuls putting an end to confiscation ha ha you'll think Bagar a prettier fellow than ever won't you your eyes are shining like two new louis d'or mademoiselle de venouille's face was indeed keenly excited when she heard that well-known voice so near her since she had been standing there erect in the midst as it were 
of a silver mine the spring of her mind held down by these strange events recovered itself she seemed to have formed some sinister resolution and to perceive a means of carrying it out there is no return from such contempt she was saying to herself and if he cannot love me i will kill him no other woman shall have him no abbe no cried the young chief in a loud voice which was heard through the panel it must be so monsieur le marquis replied the abbe goudin haughtily you will scandalize all brittany if you give that ball at st james it is preaching not dancing which will rouse our villagers take guns not fiddles abbe you have sense enough to know that it is not in a general assembly of our partisans that i can learn to know these people or judge of what i may be able to undertake with them a supper is better for examining faces than all the spying in the world of which by the by i have a horror they can be made to talk with glasses in their hand marie quivered as she listened and conceived the idea of going to the ball and there avenging herself do you take me for an idiot with your sermon against dancing continued montauran wouldn't you yourself dance a reed if it would restore your order under its new name of fathers of the faith don't you know that breton come away from the mass and go to dancing are you aware that messieurs hyde de neuville and d'andigne had a conference five days ago with the first consul on the question of restoring his majesty louis the eighteenth ah monsieur the princes are deceived as to the true state of france the devotions which uphold them are solely those of rank abbe if i have set my feet in blood at least i will not go into it to my middle without full knowledge of what i do i am devoted to the king but not to four hotheads not to a man crippled with debt like Rithoel, not to chauffeur not to say frankly monsieur not to abbe who forced contributions on the highway to carry on the war retorted the abbe goudin why should i not say it replied the marquis sharply and i'll say further that the great and heroic days of la vendee are over monsieur le marquis we can perform miracles without you yes like that of marie l'embrequin whom i hear you have brought to life said the marquis smiling come come let us have no rancour abbe i know that you run all risks and would shoot a blue as readily as you say an god willing i hope to make you assist with a mitre on your head at the king's coronation this last remark must have had some magic power for the click of a musket was heard as the abbe exclaimed i have fifty cartridges in my pocket monsieur le marquis and my life is the king's he's a debtor of mine whispered the usurer to marie i don't mean the five or six hundred crowns he has borrowed but a debt of blood which i hope to make him pay he can never suffer as much evil as i wish him the damned jesuit he swore the death of my brother and raised the country against him why 
because the poor man was afraid of the new laws then after applying his ear to another part of his hiding-place he added they are all decamping those brigands i suppose they are going to do some other miracle elsewhere i only hope they won't bid me good-bye as they did the last time by setting fire to my house after the lapse of about half an hour during which time the usurer and mademoiselle de venuille looked at each other as if they were studying a picture the coarse gruff voice of gallop chopin was heard saying in a muffled tone there is no longer any danger monsieur de Germont, but this time you must allow that i have earned my thirty crowns my dear said the miser to marie swear to shut your eyes mademoiselle de venuille placed one hand over her eyelids but for greater security d'orgemont blew out the lamp took his liberator by the hand and helped her to make seven or eight steps along a difficult passage at the end of some minutes he gently removed her hand and she found herself in the very room the marquis de montreuil had just quitted and which was in fact the miser's own bedroom my dear girl said the old man you can safely go now don't look about you that way i dare say you have no money with you here are ten crowns they are a little shaved but they'll pass when you leave the garden you will see a path that leads straight to the town or as they say now the district but the chouan will be at fougere and it is to be presumed that you can't get back there at once you may want some safe place to hide in remember what i say to you but don't make use of it unless in some great emergency you will see on the road which leads to nidocroc through the val de jabari a farmhouse belonging to cibot otherwise called galoup chopin go in and say to his wife good day bacanier and barbette will hide you if galoup chopin discovers you he will either take you for the ghost if it is dark or ten crowns will master him if it is light adieu our account is square but if you choose he added waving his hand about him all this is yours mademoiselle de venuille gave the strange old man a look of thanks and succeeded in extracting a sigh from him expressing a variety of emotions you will of course return me my ten crowns and please remark that i ask no interest you can pay them to my credit with maitre patra the notary at fougere who would draw our marriage contract if you consented to be mine adieu adieu she said smiling and waving her hand if you ever want money he called after her i'll lend it to you at five per cent yes only five did i say five why she's gone that girl looks to me like a good one nevertheless i'll change the secret opening of my chimney then he took a twelve-pound loaf and a ham and returned to his hiding-place as mademoiselle de venuille walked through the country she seemed to breathe a new life the freshness of the night revived her after the fiery experience of the last few hours she tried to follow the path explained to her by d'orgemont but the darkness became so dense after the moon had gone down that she was forced to walk haphazard blindly presently the fear of falling down some precipice seized her and saved her life for she stopped suddenly fancying the ground would disappear before her if she made another step a cool breeze lifting her hair the murmur of the river and her instinct all combined to warn her that she was probably on the verge of the saint sulpice rocks she slipped her arm around a tree and waited for dawn with keen anxiety 
for she heard a noise of arms and horses and human voices she was grateful to the darkness which saved her from the chouans who were evidently as the miser had said surrounding fougeres like fires lit at night as signals of liberty a few gleams faintly crimsoned began to show upon the summits while the bases of the mountains still retained the bluish tints which contrasted with the rosy clouds that were floating in the valley soon a ruby disk rose slowly on the horizon and the skies greeted it the varied landscape the bell tower of st leonard the rocks the meadows buried in shadow all insensibly reappeared and the trees on the summits were defined against the skies in the rising glow the sun freed itself with a graceful spring from the ribbons of flame and ochre and sapphire its vivid light took level lines from hill to hill and flowed into the vales the dusk dispersed day mastered nature a sharp breeze crisped the air the birds sang life wakened everywhere but the girl had hardly time to cast her eyes over the whole of this wondrous landscape before by a phenomenon not infrequent in these cool regions the mists spread themselves in sheets filled the valleys and rose to the tops of the mountains burying the great valley beneath a mantle of snow mademoiselle de venouille fancied for a moment she saw a mer de glace like those of the alps then the vaporous atmosphere rolled like the waves of ocean lifted impenetrable billows which softly swayed undulated and were violently whirled catching from the sun's rays a vivid rosy tint and showing here and there in their depths the transparencies of a lake of molten silver suddenly the north wind swept this phantasmagoric scene and scattered the mists which laid it dew full of oxygen on the meadows mademoiselle de venouille was now able to distinguish a dark mass of men on the rocks of fougere seven or eight hundred chouans were running like ants through the suburb of st sulpice the sleeping town would certainly have been overpowered in spite of its fortifications with its old grey towers if hulot had not been alert a battery concealed on a height at the farther end of the basin formed by the ramparts replied to the first fire of the chouans by taking them diagonally on the road to the castle the balls swept the road then a company of blues made a sortie from the saint sulpice gate profited by the surprise of the royalists to form in line upon the high road and poured a murderous fire upon them the chouans made no attempt to resist seeing that the ramparts of the castle were covered with soldiers and that the guns of the fortress sufficiently protected the republican advance meantime however other chouans masters of the little valley of the nansan had swarmed up the rocks and reached the promenade which was soon covered with goatskins giving it to marie's eyes the appearance of a thatched roof brown with age at the same moment loud reports were heard from the part of the town which overlooks the valley of couesnon evidently fougeres was attacked on all sides and completely surrounded flames rising on the western side of the rock showed that the chouans were setting fire to the suburbs but these soon ceased and a column of black smoke which succeeded them showed that the fire was extinguished brown and white clouds again hid the scene from mademoiselle de venouille but they were clouds of smoke from the fire and powder which the wind dispersed the republican commander as soon as he saw his first orders admirably executed changed the direction of his battery 
so as to sweep successively the valley of the nansan the queen's staircase and the base of the rock of fougere two guns posted at the gate of st leonard scattered the ant hill of chouan who had seized that position and the national guard of the town rushing in haste to the square before the church succeeded in dislodging the enemy the fight lasted only half an hour and cost the blues a hundred men the chouan beaten on all sides retreated under orders from the gar whose bold attempt failed although he did not know this in consequence of the massacre of la vivetiere which had brought hulot secretly and in all haste to fougeres the artillery had arrived only that evening and the news had not reached montauran otherwise he would certainly have abandoned an enterprise which if it failed could only have bad results as soon as he heard the guns the marquis knew it would be madness to continue out of mere pride a surprise which had missed fire therefore not to lose men uselessly he sent at once to all points of the attack ordering an immediate retreat the commandant seeing his adversary on the rocks of saint sulpice surrounded by a council of men endeavoured to pour a volley upon him but the spot was cleverly selected and the young leader was out of danger in a moment hulot now changed parts with his opponent and became the aggressor at the first sign of the gar's intention the company stationed under the walls of the castle were ordered to cut off the chouans retreat by seizing the upper outlet of the valley of the nansan notwithstanding her desire for revenge mademoiselle de venouille's sympathies were with the men commanded by her lover and she turned hastily to see if the other end of the valley were clear for them but the blues conquerors no doubt on the opposite side of fougeres were returning from the valley of couesnon and taking possession of the nidocrox and that portion of the saint sulpice rocks which overhang the lower end of the valley of the nansan the chouan thus hemmed in to the narrow fields of the gorge seemed in danger of perishing the last man so cleverly and sagaciously were the commandant's measures taken but hulot's cannon were powerless at these two points and here the town of fougeres being quite safe began one of those desperate struggles which denoted the character of chouan warfare mademoiselle de venouille now comprehended the presence of the masses of men she had seen as she left the town the meeting of the leaders at dorgemont's house and all the other events of the night wondering how she herself had escaped so many dangers the attack prompted by desperation interested her so keenly that she stood motionless watching the living pictures as they presented themselves to her sight presently the struggle at the foot of the mountain had a deeper interest for her seeing the blues almost masters of the chouan the marquis and his friends rushed into the valley of the nansan to support their men the rocks were now covered with straggling groups of furious combatants deciding the question of life or death on the ground and with weapons that were more favourable to the goats skins slowly this moving arena widened the chouan recovering themselves gained the rocks thanks to the shrubs and bushes which grew here and there among them for a moment mademoiselle de venouille felt alarmed as she saw rather late her enemies swarming over the summit and defending the dangerous paths by which alone she could descend 
every issue on the mountain was occupied by one or other of the two parties afraid of encountering them she left the tree behind which she had been sheltering and began to run in the direction of the farm which d'orgemont had mentioned to her after running some time on the slope of saint sulpice which overlooks the valley of Couesnon, she saw a cowshed in the distance and thought it must belong to the house of galoup chopin who had doubtless left his wife at home and alone during the fight mademoiselle de venouille hoped to be able to pass a few hours in this retreat until it was possible for her to return to fougere without danger according to all appearance hulot was to triumph the chouans were retreating so rapidly that she heard firing all about her and the fear of being shot made her hasten to the cottage the chimney of which was her landmark the path she was following ended at a sort of shed covered with a furze roof supported by four stout trees with the bark still on them a mud wall formed the back of this shed under which were a cider mill a flail to thresh buckwheat and several agricultural implements she stopped before one of the posts unwilling to cross the dirty bog which formed a sort of courtyard to the house which in her parisian ignorance she had taken for a stable the cabin protected from the north wind by an eminence towering above the roof which rested against it was not without a poetry of its own for the tender shoots of elms heather and various rock flowers wreathed it with garlands a rustic staircase constructed between the shed and the house enabled the inhabitants to go to the top of the rock and breathe a purer air on the left the eminence sloped abruptly down giving to view a series of fields the first of which belonged no doubt to this farm these fields were like bowers separated by banks which were planted with trees the road which led to them was barred by the trunk of an old half-rotten tree a breton method of enclosure the name of which may furnish further on a digression which will complete the characterization of this region between the stairway cut in the schist rock and the path closed by this old tree in front of the marsh and beneath the overhanging rock several granite blocks roughly hewn and piled one upon the other formed the four corners of the cottage and held up the planks cobblestones and pitch amalgam of which the walls were made the fact that one half of the roof was covered with firs instead of thatch and the other with shingles or bits of board cut into the form of slates showed that the building was in two parts one half with a broken hurdle for a door served as a stable the other half was the dwelling of the owner though this hut owed to the neighbourhood of the town a few improvements which were wholly absent from such buildings that were five or six miles further off it showed plainly enough the instability of domestic life and habits to which the wars and customs of feudality had reduced the serf even to this day many of the peasants of those parts call a seigneurial chateau the dwelling while examining the place with an astonishment we can readily conceive mademoiselle de venouille noticed here and there in the filth of the courtyard a few bits of granite so placed as to form stepping-stones to the house hearing the sound of musketry that was evidently coming nearer she jumped from stone to stone as if crossing a rivulet to ask shelter the house was closed by a door opening in two parts the lower one of wood heavy and massive the upper one a shutter which served as a window in many of the smaller towns of france the shops have the same type of door though far more decorated the lower half possessing a call-bell the door in question opened with a wooden latch worthy of the golden age 
and the upper part was never closed except at night for it was the only opening through which daylight could enter the room there was to be sure a clumsy window but the glass was thick like the bottom of a bottle and the lead which held the panes in place took so much room that the opening seemed intended to intercept the light rather than admit it as soon as mademoiselle de vanille had turned the creaking hinges of the lower door she smelt an intolerable ammoniacal odour and saw that the beasts in the stable had kicked through the inner partition which separated the stable from the dwelling the interior of the farmhouse for such it was did not belie its exterior mademoiselle de vanille was asking herself how it was possible for human beings to live in such habitual filth when a ragged boy about eight or nine years old suddenly presented his fresh and rosy face with a pair of fat cheeks lively eyes ivory teeth and a mass of fair hair which fell in curls upon his half-naked shoulders his limbs were vigorous and his attitude had the charm of that amazement and naive curiosity which widens a child's eyes the little fellow was a picture of beauty where's your mother said marie in a gentle voice stooping to kiss him between the eyes after receiving her kiss the child slipped away like an eel and disappeared behind a muck heap which was piled at the top of a mound between the path and the house for like many breton farmers who have a system of agriculture that is all their own galop chopin put his manure in an elevated spot so that by the time it was wanted for use the rains had deprived it of all its virtue alone for a few minutes marie had time to make an inventory the room in which he waited for babette was the whole house the most obvious and sumptuous object was a vast fireplace with a mantel-shelf of blue granite the etymology of that word was shown by a strip of green serge edged with a pale green ribbon cut in scallops which covered and overhung the whole shelf on which stood a coloured plaster cast of the holy virgin on the pedestal of the statuette were two lines of a religious poem very popular in brittany i am the mother of god protectress of the sod behind the virgin a hideous image daubed with red and blue under pretence of painting represented saint lavre a green serge bed of the shape called tomb a clumsy cradle a spinning-wheel common chairs and a carved chest on which lay utensils were about the whole of gallop chopin's domestic possessions in front of the window stood a chestnut table flanked by two benches of the same wood to which the sombre light coming through the thick panes gave the tone of mahogany an immense cask of cider under the bung of which mademoiselle de vanille noticed a pool of yellow mud which had decomposed the flooring although it was made of scraps of granite conglomerated in clay proved that the master of the house had a right to his chouan name and that the pints galloped down either his own throat or that of his friends two enormous jugs full of cider stood on the table marie's attention caught at first by the innumerable spiders webs which hung from the roof was fixing itself on these pictures when the noise of fighting growing more and more distinct impelled her to find a hiding-place without waiting for the woman of the house who however appeared at that moment good morning bacagnier said marie restraining a smile at the appearance of a person who bore some resemblance to the heads which architects attached to window casings ah you come from dogement answered barbette in a tone that was far from cordial yes where can you hide me for the chouans are close by there replied barbette as much amazed at the beauty as by the strange apparel of a being she could hardly believe to be of her own sex 
there in the priest's hiding-place she took her to the head of the bed and was putting her behind it when they were both startled by the noise of a man springing into the courtyard barbette had scarcely time to drop the curtain of the bed and folded about the girl before she was face to face with a fugitive schwan where can i hide old woman i am the comte de bovin said the newcomer mademoiselle de venuille quivered as she recognized the voice of the belated guest whose words still a secret to her brought about the catastrophe of la vivetiere alas monseigneur don't you see i have no place what i'd better do is to keep outside and watch that no one gets in if the blues come i'll let you know if i stay here and they find me with you they'll burn my house down barbette left the hut feeling herself incapable of settling the interests of two enemies who in virtue of the double role her husband was playing had an equal right to her hiding-place i've only two shots left said the count in despair it will be very unlucky if those fellows turn back now and take a fancy to look under this bed he placed his gun gently against the headboard behind which marie was standing among the folds of the green serge and stooped to see if there was room for him under the bed he would infallibly have seen her feet but she rendered desperate by her danger seized his gun jumped quickly into the room and threatened him the count broke into a peal of laughter when he caught sight of her for in order to hide herself marie had taken off her broad-brimmed chouan hat and her hair was escaping in heavy curls from the lace scarf which she had worn on leaving home don't laugh monsieur le comte you are my prisoner if you make the least movement you shall know what an offended woman is capable of doing as the count and marie stood looking at each other with differing emotions confused voices were heard without among the rocks calling out save the gar spread out spread out save the gar barbette's voice calling to her boy was heard above the tumult with very different sensation by the two enemies to whom barbette was really speaking instead of to her son don't you see the blues she cried sharply come here you little scamp or i shall be after you do you want to be shot come hide quick while these things took place rapidly a blue jumped into the marshy courtyard beaupied exclaimed mademoiselle de venuille beaupied hearing her voice rushed into the cottage and aimed at the count aristocratic cried don't stir or i'll demolish you in a wink like the bastille monsieur beaupied said mademoiselle de venuille in a persuasive voice you will be answerable to me for this prisoner do as you like with him now but you must return him to me safe and sound at fougere enough madame is the road to fougere clear yes it's safe enough unless the chouan come to life mademoiselle de venuille picked up the count's gun gaily and smiled satirically as she said to her prisoner adieu monsieur le comte au revoir then she darted down the path having replaced the broad hat upon her head i have learned too late said the count not to joke about the virtue of a woman who has none aristocrat cried beaupied sternly if you don't want me to send you to your ci-devant paradise you will not say a word against that beautiful lady mademoiselle de venuille returned to fougere by the paths which connect the rocks of saint sulpice with the nido crocs when she reached the latter height and had threaded the winding way cut in its rough granite she stopped to admire the pretty valley of the mansan lately so turbulent and now so tranquil seen from that point the vale was like a street of verdure mademoiselle de venuille re-entered the town by the 
port st leonard the inhabitants still uneasy about the fighting which judging by the distant firing was still going on were waiting the return of the national guard to judge of their losses seeing the girl in her strange costume her hair dishevelled a gun in her hand her shawl and gown whitened against the walls soiled with mud and wet with dew the curiosity of the people was keenly excited all the more because the power beauty and singularity of this young parisian had been the subject of much discussion francine full of dreadful fears had waited for her mistress throughout the night and when she saw her she began to speak but marie with a kindly gesture silenced her i'm not dead my child she said ah she added after a pause i wanted emotions when i left paris and i have had them francine asked if she should get her some food observing that she must be in great need of it no no a bath a bath cried mademoiselle de vernouille i must dress at once francine was not a little surprised when her mistress required her to unpack the most elegant of the dresses she had brought with her having bathed and breakfasted marie made her toilette with all the minute care which a woman gives to that important act when she expects to meet the eyes of her lover in a ballroom francine could not explain to herself the mocking gaiety of her mistress it was not the joy of love a woman never mistakes that it was rather an expression of concentrated maliciousness which to francine's mind boded evil marie herself drew the curtains of the window from which the glorious panorama could be seen then she moved the sofa to the chimney corner turning it so that the light would fall becomingly on her face then she told francine to fetch flowers that the room might have a festive air and when they came she herself directed their arrangement in a picturesque manner giving a last glance of satisfaction at these various preparations she sent francine to the commandant with a request that he would bring her prisoner to her then she lay down luxuriously on a sofa partly to rest and partly to throw herself into an attitude of graceful weakness the power of which is irresistible in certain women a soft languor the seductive pose of her feet just seen below the drapery of her gown the plastic ease of her body the curving of her throat all even the droop of her slender fingers as they hung from the pillow like the buds of a bunch of jasmine combined with her eyes to produce seduction she burned certain perfumes to fill the air with those subtle emanations which affect men's fibres powerfully and often prepare the way for conquests which women seek to make without seeming to desire them presently the heavy step of the old soldier resounded in the adjoining room well commandant where is my captive she said i have just ordered a picket of twelve men to shoot him being taken with arms in his hand why have you disposed of my prisoner she asked listen to me commandant surely if i can trust your face the death of a man after a fight is no particular satisfaction to you well then give my chouan a reprieve for which i will be responsible and let me see him i assure you that aristocrat has become essential to me and he can be made to further the success of our plans besides to shoot a mere amateur in chouannerie would be as absurd as to fire on a balloon when a pinprick would disinflate it for heaven's sake leave cruelty to the aristocracy republicans ought to be generous wouldn't you and yours have forgiven the victims of cabaron 
come send your twelve men to patrol the town and dine with me and bring the prisoner there's only an hour of daylight left and don't you see she added smiling that if you are too late my toilette will have lost its effect but mademoiselle said the commandant amazed well what but i know what you mean don't be anxious and the count shall not escape sooner or later that big butterfly will burn himself in your fire the commandant shrugged his shoulders slightly with the air of a man who is forced to obey whether he will or no the commands of a pretty woman and he returned in about half an hour followed by the comte de bourbon mademoiselle de venille feigned surprise and seemed confused that the count should see her in such a negligent attitude then after reading in his eyes that her first effect was produced she rose and busied herself about her guests with well-bred courtesy there was nothing studied or forced in her motions smiles behaviour or voice nothing that betrayed premeditation or purpose all was harmonious no part was overacted an observer could not have supposed that she affected the manners of a society in which she had not lived when the royalist and the republic were seated she looked sternly at the count he on his part knew women sufficiently well to feel certain that the offence he had committed against this woman was equivalent to a sentence of death but in spite of this conviction and without seeming either gay or gloomy he had the air of a man who did not take such serious results into consideration in fact he really thought it ridiculous to fear death in presence of a pretty woman marie's stern manner roused ideas in his mind who knows thought he whether a count's coronet wouldn't please her as well as that of her lost marquis montrand is as lean as a nail while i and he looked himself over with an air of satisfaction at any rate i should save my head these diplomatic revelations were wasted the passion the count proposed to feign for mademoiselle de venille became a violent caprice which the dangerous creature did her best to heighten monsieur le comte she said you are my prisoner and have the right to dispose of you your execution cannot take place without my consent and i have too much curiosity to let them shoot you at present and suppose i am obstinate enough to keep silence he replied gaily with an honest woman perhaps but with a woman of the town no no monsieur le comte impossible these words full of bitter sarcasm were hissed as sully says in speaking of the duchesse de beaufort from so sharp a beak that the count amazed merely looked at his antagonist but she continued with a scornful glance not to contradict you if i am a creature of that kind i will act like one here's your gun and she offered him his weapon with a mocking air on the honour of a gentleman mademoiselle ah she said interrupting him i've had enough of the honour of gentlemen it was on the faith of that that i went to la vivetiere your leader had sworn to me that i and my escort should be safe there what an infamy cried hulot contracting his brows the fault lies with m le comte said marie addressing hulot i have no doubt de gar meant to keep his word but this gentleman told some calumny about me which confirmed those that charette's mistress had already invented mademoiselle said the count much troubled with my head under the axe i would swear that i said nothing but the truth in saying what that you were the say the word mistress of the marquis de lenaucourt 
the present duke and a friend of mine replied the count now i can let you go to execution she said without seeming at all agitated by the outspoken reply of the count who was amazed at the real or pretended indifference with which she heard his statement however she added laughing you have not wronged me more than that friend of whom you suppose me to have been the by monsieur le Comte, surely you used to visit my father the duc de venille yes well then evidently considering hulot one too many for the confidence she was about to make mademoiselle de venille motioned the count to her side and said a few words in her ear monsieur de beauvin gave a low ejaculation of surprise and looked with bewilderment and marie who completed the effect of her words by leaning against the chimney in the artless and innocent attitude of a child mademoiselle cried the count i entreat your forgiveness unworthy as i am of it i have nothing to forgive she replied you have no more ground for repentance than you had for the insolent supposition you proclaimed at la devetiere but this is a matter beyond your comprehension only remember this monsieur le Comte, the daughter of the duc de venille has too generous a spirit not to take a lively interest in your fate even after i have insulted you said the count with a sort of regret some are placed so high that insult cannot touch them monsieur le Comte. i am one of them as she said the words the girl assumed an air of pride and nobility which impressed the prisoner and made the whole of this strange intrigue much less clear to hulot than the old soldier had thought it he twirled his moustache and looked uneasily at mademoiselle de venille who made him a sign as if to say she was still carrying out her plan now continued marie after a pause let us discuss these matters francine my dear bring lights she adroitly led the conversation to the times which had now within a few short years become the ancien regime she brought back that period to the count's mind by the liveliness of her remarks and sketches and gave him so many opportunities to display his wit by cleverly throwing repartees in his way that he ended by thinking that he had never been so charming and the idea had having rejuvenated him he endeavoured to inspire this seductive young woman with his own good opinion of himself the malicious creature practised in return every art of her coquetry upon him all the more adroitly because it was mere play to her sometimes she let him think he was making rapid progress and then as if surprised at the sentiment she was feeling she showed a sudden coolness which charmed him and served to increase imperceptibly his impromptu passion she was like a fisherman who lifts his line from time to time to see if the fish is biting the poor count allowed himself to be deceived by the innocent air with which she accepted two or three neatly turned compliments emigration brittany the republic and the chouan were far indeed from his thoughts hulot sat erect and silent as the god thermes his want of education made him quite incapable of taking part in a conversation of this kind he supposed that the talking pair were very witty but his efforts at comprehension were limited to discovering whether they were plotting against the republic in covert language montauran the count was saying has birth and breeding he is a charming fellow but he doesn't understand gallantry he is too young to have seen versailles his education is deficient instead of diplomatically defaming he strikes a blow he may be able to love violently 
that he will never have that fine flower of breeding in his gallantry which distinguished lancin Audemar, Cogny, and so many others he hasn't the winning art of saying those pretty nothings to women which after all they like better than bursts of passion which soon weary them yes though he has undoubtedly had many love affairs he has neither the grace nor the ease that should belong to them i've noticed that myself said marie ah thought the count there's an inflection in her voice and a look in her eye which shows me plainly i shall soon be on terms with her and faith to get her i believe all she wants me to End of section twelve